RIP Twitter. It's such a loss for everyone who uses the internet. And it's like, also, and probably most importantly, maybe more so than anyone else in the, the whole world who used the app. It's a loss for us specifically and yeah. the three listeners who found us through Twitter. Our main three listeners. Our main yeah. three listeners, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, but now you can find us in other places on the internet because the internet is a big wide world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where I, else can we find us? Yeah, I think I think most of the, the promo we're doing nowadays is in the comment section of... Um, of recipe blogs. That's true. So someone will be like, hi, I'm American. I don't know what turmeric is. <laughs> I used uh, uh, Cool Whip instead. Hope that's okay. Hope it turned yeah. out well. And then the first reply will be like, listen to dinner in a movie. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. And that is relevant because our, um, our podcast is about the intersection between uh, culture and food. Yes. And, mm. um, and where the five spice is yeah. actually made up of five spices. Yeah. And does all spice have all the spices in it? And how do they, <laughs> how do they work that out? Yeah. Hmm. What was the other one we were talking to our friend about yesterday, Jimmy? Um, oh, ch- chili powder. So in America, chili powder in America. In, yeah, in American recipes, it'll be like five heaped tablespoons of, of chili powder, um, but it won't be like chili powder like it is here. It'll have like all the other spices in there. It's like powder like, for making chili. Um, and where else can our, our listeners find us oh, now right. that um, Elon Musk has run Twitter into the ground? If not online, then maybe we should be doing some posting in real life. You want to vandalize stuff right yeah do you think maybe we could put like um you know the queen victoria statue um listen to dinner in a movie i think on the side of her throne idea Mm, yeah yeah i mean if we're not gonna take it down we should at least make use of it yeah yeah Yeah. a platform for Uh sure yeah. Make the best of it being yeah. there. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think so. Anyway, I think that uh, my humour for that has run its course. <laughs> I have no idea what else to add. To, um, I, you, you just have to understand, dear listener, that Nabila's really been reeling um, with the loss of Twitter. It's, it's been really hard on her. It's got, I've, I've got Mastodon now. It has a 10,000 w- uh, character limit, which is a lot of characters. 10,000 characters? What is this, Game of Thrones? Kia this is uh, Dinner in a Movie. Uh, this is the podcast where we talk to people about their mahi through the lens of a dish and a piece of cinema. And today we've got a really awesome guest with us. Bonnie is a PhD candidate um, and tutor at Te Rengawaka, um, with me. Um, so she's doing her PhD in sociology. Um, and she's also a singer and a painter and a friend to cats and all animals <laughs> and Brucey. Oh, bro. <laughs> shout out to you. Yes. Um, shout out to Brucey. And Tibby. And Tibby, yes. Yeah. <laughs> friend um, of the show, Tibby. Future guest, Tibby. Yes. Um, so, welcome. 
How do you feel? Oh, thank you. Um, good. Yeah, a little bit like oh, <laughs> but yeah, thank you for inviting me. Oh, it's really nice. Yeah. Is this your first podcast? Yes, <laughs> yeah. it's mine too. I've never been on a podcast, as you can tell. Um, yeah. So tell me a little bit. Tell us a little bit about your work. <clears throat> like, what do you do in the ivory tower? <laughs> Um, I want to say good question, but <laughs> um, a bad question. Yeah, no, but um, no. Um, I think I guess um, what my PhD is about is um, looking at how music and intersectionality and praxis interconnect um, in ways which might resonate like critical social theory. Mm. So I'm looking at how sound, like what the role of sound is in, um, yeah, in creating critical theory, critical yeah. social theory, I should say, to be, yeah, a bit more specific. So um, how did you end up falling into this particular topic? What what what, what made you first fall in love with um, what you're researching now? Mm. Um, I think it kind of came about from um, just, yeah, I guess a lot of different things that I'm passionate about and, yeah, yeah, think about every day and kind of wanting to find a way to sort of weave them together Mm. um, and to sort of, I guess, like a facet of my PhD is to talk about how music should be valued as like a really Mm. um, crucial medium of knowledge production and um, obviously it's not always used for emancipatory means, like quite often it can be used in the opposite way and obviously like capitalism has a, and you know, like the, yeah, the music industry has a big role to play in it not being like at all radical. But I think there is a lot of radical potential in, in sound waves in certain kind of contexts and, and the way that music is used to generate like belonging and collectivity. So that's something that I've always found interesting and I guess resonated with when I've, um, because I've always been interested in social justice and, you know, like, I've always kind of, I guess, considered myself a feminist and like being really engaged with um, learning about intersectionality and praxis and kind of working out how to sort of, and it's, you know, contradictory because, you know, I've like learnt about that through the university, which Mm. is very like in itself, you know, I've been really privileged in order Mm. to be able to do that and access that knowledge. But at the same time, I think like the best, one of the best things to do in that position is to kind of look at those frameworks and be like, well, how can they be made into, you know, every day and like not be sort of, because they're not restricted to the ivory tower Mm. in the sense that people you know, uh, are living those, you know, values in their everyday lives, um, whether they're at a university or not. But there's kind of labels that are put on them when Mm -hmm. they're, like, in that environment. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I guess, um, you know, I guess part of also, like, what this is about is sort of challenging what the university is and how it can be a site, like, of resistance, but a site to resist, like, simultaneously. Mm. And I think music is as well. So those definitely are both enfolded through. But it's like studying the the role that music plays in... Yeah, everyday life and, like, yeah, it's social and cultural embeddedness Uh and it's political aspects. Yeah. Yeah. Because I I guess a lot of people, most, most people have some sort of relationship with with music but I think there's a very there's a reasonably high barrier I think between that and kind of understanding the role that it plays because I think a Mm. lot of people feel music rather than think about it and Mm -hmm. like normally like me don't really know uh the language of music like I think like Mm. compared to something like 
like film, I think ordinary people know what like cinematography or what a shot is or what they're looking kind at. Of. But then with with music, like it's very hard to kind of for someone like me yeah. to understand music beyond how it makes me feel. Mm-hmm. So it's really interesting uh, being able to uh, kind of come up with come up with theory, putting something that's so. Uh, emotional into into theory I guess Mm, mm. yeah like because um I think music and feeling and effect like musical effect is is very much at the heart of what I'm doing because of it being like quite a feminist project and so it's sort of about privileging um how music is felt um almost um not uh yeah not in opposition to how it's thought about because I think they're interconnected but like yeah, kind of privileging that as a way of knowing to then sort of gain, I guess, a bit more insight into how it might resonate um, as as critical social theory in mm. some way. And so sort of, you know, that, that, that kind of looks then at, you know, theory being embodied and lived rather than this kind of static thing. But but I guess yeah, feeling is at the heart of probably what I'm is, is yeah is at the heart of what I'm doing, and I think has been important for me, and not just like an academic con you know yeah not in like just an academic sort of um uh setting to sort of be like yeah actually feelings and you know emotions and embodiments are really crucial and Mm -hmm. sort of making that argument that like you know the mind and body are interconnected and but also I think just that that's how I've like that's what's made sense for me just in my life as well Mm -hmm. just like yeah this feelings are kind of how I learn I guess yeah and it's it's just yeah or however I think that's the case for everyone I feel like that's a very obvious thing to say (laughs) but you know yeah yeah it's like like, but like musicology has got quite a um like its roots and its history is sort of um similar to a lot of humanity so it's very like centered Mm. in whiteness oh totally it's such a white discipline Mm. and I, I don't know you hear a lot like oh music's this universal language but it kind of flattens a lot of experiences that you need to understand particular kinds of music uh, music within particular contexts and social, Mm. cultural and political contexts yeah, um, where it is not universal for sure necessarily I don't know Mm. thought yeah yeah (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. like positionality is gonna affect how music makes you feel right like I think everyone has like a like even without being able to articulate it in an academic way, people have a, I, I, I'm feeling sad, I got, I got broken up with, I'm going to listen to this song because it makes me feel better. Or mm. even, now, like nowadays I think it becomes more, um, uh, maybe even more direct, where it's like, I've got to study, I want to put on lo-fi beats, uh, <laughs> lo-fi beats of the uh, Breaking Bad score or whatever, like very specific lo- uh uh, lo-fi Lord of the Rings remixes uh, <laughs> because that's what makes me study well and that right. what makes you feel better after a, a breakup what makes you concentrate is going to be influenced by your personal experience and mm. uh, even though the link between music and feeling may be emotional it's so much more complex yeah I guess and also like because you know I guess coming back to like music itself being yeah. a site of resistance and sort of to resist is that like music theory like the kind of what people um, you know and like 
New Zealand and I guess other kind of settler colonies um, have regarded as music theory as a very specific music yeah. theory, like it's um, 18th century, like Beethoven. German. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a really good YouTube video kind of talking about like the white supremacist yeah. history of music um, theory and how we've kind of come to understand it. That sort of is um, something that is used and it's it's got like a legacy of yeah. like, you know, projecting this um, notion that like, yeah, that kind of um, classical music mm -hmm. of that time period and, um, you know, sort of developments off that and the scales and everything that have, you know, kind of been heralded as like what you what you do and the framework that you use. Um, yeah, that's kind of set this precedent that that's what music is mm -hmm. and like other, you know, it's kind of then diminished other ways of making music. Um, obviously, yeah, it's othered like non-Western yeah. music like yeah. and doesn't often, you know, sometimes just doesn't treat it as music yeah. and then there's this being this whole sort of, um, you know, shift like this um I think it was Ben Shapiro I'm not being very articulate sorry <laughs> Ben Shapiro did this um just I didn't watch it but it was just this awful video saying oh hip-hop's not music because whatever whatever I guess his is quite a yeah like an extreme yeah. epitomization of that but that's like a, a very insidious legacy that's been all yeah. through music education and yeah. it really um diminishes like yeah it's kind of been this thing of like classical music versus popular music yeah, all yeah. other kinds of music but I think now like classical music doesn't have a very wide listenership like yeah. you know the vast majority of people are listening to more and more different sorts of styles and genres and um yeah and in different kind of technologies that are being now used to yeah. produce music so it's um it's a very very yeah complex thing but it doesn't I don't think it that you know I don't think that shift means that that kind of white supremacist legacy has changed I think it still gets reinforced yeah, constantly all the time definitely and like I think my first introduction to this was when um um I was a when I was a young boy uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I listened to a lot of my chemical romance um um was in the sort of like uh, forum scene um, of um, just all these like emo punk rock mu music um, bands and stuff and um, it's a very like uh, white dominated um, scene mm. and so much of the posturing there and the kind of seeing yourself as a better uh, you're just like a deeper music fan because mm. you listen to all these like sad emo boys sad emo white boys um instead of listening to all the um uh tits and ass of hip-hop and rap on <laughs> you know people are like uh you know they they actually play their own instruments yeah yeah. yeah it's like super Comments racist like that. it's yeah. incredibly racist yeah. yeah um it reminds me of like the, the the in the late 70s early 80s like the backlash against disco which yeah. was like i was just gonna say that yeah, yeah. which is like the coolest genre ever. Yeah, but it was because it was like a black queer genre. Mm. All the 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 rock people, I guess, started burning disco records. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then like kind of taking from um, disco's aesthetic and whitewashing it and straighten straightening it. I guess yeah. like yeah, and then kind of yeah, completely appropriating it to yeah. be sort of something else altogether. Yeah, um, like Kiss when they did that <gasps> disco song. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Um, and that's, yeah, I mean, I think 
Um, this is probably a little bit to the side, like, but you know, it's also it's interesting and yeah, <laughs> and important. It's also not to the side because yeah. it's like at the heart of everything. Mm-hmm. But um, Matthew Morrison, who's a scholar who's like quite foundational, I think, to like understanding how intersectionality and popular music sort of interconnect is that he makes this argument that like basically all popular music sort of emergent out of the states is is based like it comes back down to like um, the like embodied sounds and like um, musical traditions mm-hmm. from sh- like chattel slavery and mm-hmm. like blackface minstrelsy and that kind of those legacies of performance that have been yeah like appropriated and yeah taken and kind of embodied yeah by by non-black and black people mm. but like in, in in that kind of sort of that's like the basis of of how popular music has yeah. has come about like yeah. all styles and all forms yeah um so that's yeah which is like yeah i feel like i'm only just you know scraping, scraping the surface, the surface. Yeah. but yeah he's really sure. yeah. yeah but that's kind of like it's, it's obviously interesting because people will like set up like rock is this like authentic alternative to something like disco or like yeah. hip hop but then obviously if you go back to, to rock and roll it does come out of, of a very specific black American tradition totally. even if yeah. it has been largely claimed by white people mm. in the late 20th century yeah yeah I think um, yeah you can look back at every kind of music and it's it, and it's all it's all been kind of yeah it's all been appropriated and stolen in that way and I think in in, yeah whitewashed and then um commodified Mm -hmm. and commercialized and yeah I think also um like just the kind of the the legacies of class around Mm -hmm. music are interesting like in terms of you know what's those kind of polarizations that are set up as like what's real or serious music Mm -hmm. and what's not you know serious music or whatever is um you know this kind of like that's all shaped by people's like um, material access to expensive instruments and gear and mm-hmm. like recording stuff and you know their parents ability to like get them like you know lessons like say violin lessons every week or something like mm-hmm. that from a young age mm-hmm. for their whole childhood like mm-hmm. all of those things are really expensive mm-hmm. and are, like they're a privilege yeah. and that's often not yeah that's that's really not never talked about like mm. in, you know my sort of engagements with like you know doing music at school and the kinds of like music sort of um i guess yeah the music education environments that was really absent from like discussion or like no one ever acknowledged that those facets of like their you know access to music yeah gave them the perspective that they had on it or like gave them the assumptions that they had on it and I think there's yeah this kind of um like unwitting sort of participation and like yeah erasure both of like you know obviously of race and class yeah um within that that just because New Zealand's so bad at talking about race as well like we've got such a um, an inability to talk about it or acknowledge it that Mm. that just yeah it gets um that just really sort of gets reproduced yeah. in that kind of colorblind yeah. but more, it's more sort of almost more than colorblind as yeah. well like just yeah very very kind of rampant and part of the everyday yeah. so it wasn't until actually like yeah looking at that literature and sociology like looking at like engaging with critical race theory mm. that it was like oh yeah like that was my awakening to it mm-hmm. obviously as well because I'm white and like just had no idea but um yeah I think it's it's very I don't know yeah, at the underbelly. 
Do you remember the movie, the film, <laughs> one about the sounds of Singapore? Uh, Singapore Gaga. Singapore Gaga. Yeah, it's kind of like, it's almost like a, like almost, it reminded me of like a, even though it's about yes. music, it reminded me of like a, like a kind of, when in silent cinema where they used to do like city symphonies of like, kind of not, not with a plot, but just going around a, a city and looking at the different things in that city. It kind of reminds me of that, but it's about the, the sounds of Singapore. It's, it's, it is cool. Um, yeah, there was, was it one, was it in that film that there was a kind of like a light history of why Singapore and a lot of Commonwealth countries end up teaching their students um, how to play the recorder. Do you oh. remember that? Yes, it was. It wasn't. It? I can't <laughs> remember why. Is it because the recorder's like easy? A British thing. Oh, okay. Soon there'll be lots of um, children with recorders outside the train station going. Oh no! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and given that it is the season, what kind of what kind of food have you you bought uh, to, to the the, the, the meta- table. Me- yeah, <laughs> metaphorical table today, Bonnie? Yes, um, fruit cake. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't often think about it as a Christmas cake. I, I mean, obviously, I know that it is as well. But I think, yeah, we kind of make it just whenever, mm-hmm. really, often in winter, like my auntie will make it. Mm. Um, and I, yeah, I usually try and make it in winter. Um, and for birthday cakes and stuff sometimes yeah. as well. Yeah. How would you link music with fruitcake? But it's really obvious because within a fruitcake, there's a symphony of flavours. Oh <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think, um, like, what comes to mind with fruitcake is that... Um, you know, it kind of is such a sort of, um, like, warming, mm. invigorating, like, food. Like, it's something that's really, um, it's quite, it's probably one of my favourite foods, but I like, kind of, when it's specifically, like, one yeah. that, yeah, yeah, like, my family sort of make, or that it's, if it kind of turns up unexpectedly, it's something, and it's, like, someone's just made it using whatever ingredients they happen to have, yeah. and it's just kind of, like, um, yeah, I think there's just something quite special about it because it's um, really like it's really sort of warming inside mm. to your insides, and I think it can help. It's nice to have in winter because you know winter is obviously like it's physically cold and mm. miserable, um, but also it's like people often have like quite difficult things happen in winter, like often you know seasonal depression. I feel like often we like we tend to lose people, like. Mm-hmm. Um, and grief sort of mm. sometimes resurfaces um, mm. or can, you know, um, or, or can begin in, t- in winter if you if you do lose someone. And so it's just something which gives, I think for me, it's like it just kind of is nice, like it keeps you going. It's something yeah. that's not only like quite nutritious because it's got all the fruit and yeah, it's, it's kind of joyful to eat when it's like everything else can feel mm. a bit bleak. So yeah, I think that when music is, is sort of, um, you know, when people kind of will listen to music in a way to sort of um, get through a hard time or like you know for for a healing um, purpose or what they come away you know feeling like really energized because whatever they've heard has really has has just you know sat with them and affected them in a in a very you know intense way Um, then that yeah that's just that's really important and I think sort of foundational to like just general 
um, to yeah, the, uh, just the I guess just general togetherness and that we like need each other to sort of get through hard times. Yeah. It sounds a bit cheesy, but yeah, like yeah. I think just that we yeah people yeah. need each other and we need to like look after each other and keep each other warm and yeah. like it can sound quite romanticized and <laughs> silly, but it also is like a real thing as well. Yeah. That's yeah. important. It, we we just need more of it. So we need more fruitcake. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Very, very kind of direct relationship between doing something and it influencing the way you feel. It's kind of, it's exactly like that concept of affect and musicology makes you feel good. And yeah, 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 for sure. Um, when I was uh, when I was researching uh, fruitcake for this episode um, and the history of of fruitcake, I I found out that. the, the modern history of fruitcake really begins in the in the 15th century when um, Pope Innocent the the eighth um, uh, passed a law uh, allowing the use of, of butter in fruitcake because before ah. then uh, because of Catholic laws around fasting you couldn't use butter in a fruitcake so I think it's really interesting that as a as a vegan mm-hmm. you're kind of kind of subverting mm. subverting that you're making <laughs> you're making a an anti-catholic uh, <laughs> fruitcake uh, i didn't know that that's really interesting <laughs> yeah so you know how we were talking about music cannot be understood out of, out of the context that it was made right yeah um, <laughs> yeah. fruit or cake also cannot be understood out of the context like wh- when you take out the different parts of fruitcake, what do you get? It's like, none, none of it makes sense. Like, currents? <laughs> what is yeah, that? Yeah. Oh, reasons? What is that? Yeah. Doesn't make sense. So it's like a, it's like a, a musical composition when you're putting, yeah, yeah, different bits together. So I guess, the, what, the flowers, the rhythm, the... Mm, um, flowers, the rhythm. The currents are the... Um, I don't, that's all I know. Uh, <laughs> not, I'm, like, I'm really liking this. The currents are like some staccato, like some kind of like quick little like rhythmic... like yes. Kind of... <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that's really random. <laughs> but, um, yes. yeah. That's a nice way to think about it. And, so, yeah. yeah. To kind of put it for our, uh, like, Eurocentric boomer listeners, so the... the Are you talking uh, about your mum? <laughs> so, okay, let me, br- let me break it down for you, okay? So the, 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 the raisins are John, the, uh, the, the cranberries are, are Ringo, the, uh, the dates are Paul, the flowers John Lennon, yeah. <laughs> Holds the whole thing together. Yeah. Uh, what, I mean, one of the ma- uh, one of the key ingredients in a fruit cake is um, is cranberries, of course. And, uh, cranberries <laughs> oh, are also yeah, yeah. I, they're also Irish. Yeah. Oh, and yes. do you know what else is Irish? The film you played. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Summer> <laughs> <to see. laughs> it's, it's podcasting, baby. That's <laughs> so tell tell us about the film that you ended up picking that mm. speaks to. Um, your research and your interest in music, etc. Hmm. Okay. Um. So I guess Song of the Sea is um is a it's a story that's sort of adapted from Irish folklore. There's um quite a lot of different accounts and tellings of the story about um sort of people who live in the sea. Often, yeah, women who live in the sea and um a selkies. So mm. it's sort of like a human slash seal kind of they can go in between. And um yeah, the story centers on this family and the um I guess I'll 
probably be spoiling the film as I'm talking yeah, about it. But this yeah, this podcast is full of spoilers. <laughs> yeah, and I, I mean, it, you know, I think still seeing the film, you should for anyone listening, they should still go watch it because it's really beautiful. Yeah. And I won't do justice to it, and even in describing what happens, but like, um, yeah, it's about this family. Um, uh, yeah, a mother and father and son, and the mother is about to give birth to her daughter. Um, and then um, it's sort of it's a little bit ambiguous, like as to how she um, goes. But basically, she returns to the sea all of a sudden in a quite a jarring way and leaves the daughter behind. And so then for six years the family are grieving um they you know so it's it's sort of like she's died um even though that isn't sort of said outright mm-hmm. and um they're like yeah and so the and the brother so the the son that she'd already had who's four at the time that um his, his sister is born and his mother disappears um is 10 when the when the sort of story takes place you know from the present day and he um yeah he's really jealous of his sister he he blames her for the disappearance of his mother and the father is so consumed in his grief that he can't engage he can't um and he he's very distant from the son because you know he's he's so focused on the daughter because mm. she's the link to um his wife disappearing and so the son is really neglected and everyone's very hurt and broken and it's yeah and it's 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 really quite it's really sad and so then um Anyway, at some point, Sersha discovers um, that she that she's also a selkie like her mother. That's mm. yeah, that's the main important kind of thing. And um, um, there's a, there's another layer of a of a um, an Irish folk tale um, that I won't go too much into. But that's kind of part of what their quest is and the adventure that they um, have for the whole movie. Yeah. Um, and so they go through um, meeting all these, um, yeah, kind of meeting these fairy folk on the way, and the and they can hear like so that you know sound is really crucial to them hearing the selkie. The selkies sing, um, and that's kind of how you know they kind of wake up the world around them and wake up um, these creatures that have been turned to stone, which is part of yeah this other kind of layer to the movie. Um, and so it's sort of um, yeah that they kind of weave through this um, adventure against kind of a race against time a little bit as well mm-hmm. because um, Sersha's suffering from being parted with a couple of essential things that she needs to like you know be fully herself um, that have been sort of taken from her and so she needs to be reunited with them and at the end there's a um, there's a big kind of reuniting with um, their mother as well which is um, very emotional um, but it also is very much needed for mm. the family to heal to actually address their emotions and feelings and to understand um, you know how lot like how loss is part of life and mm-hmm. you know grief is something that you can't you know it's not going to go away so I guess it's about like learning how to live with it and Mm. how to sort of um be yeah just I don't know like um I guess able to sort of um have it being yeah understand its um presence in in your life and sort of um yeah and 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 I think being able to maybe maintain a connection with people you've lost as well like that's um so it's quite a you know that part of the film's like really emotional for me Mm. that bit at the end um because you know I've lost my mum so it's it hits quite hard Mm -hmm. I'm like oh oh my god yeah I relate Mm -hmm. a lot to Mm -hmm. Ben in that Mm. bit um and I think um but yeah, I think that the kind of healing aspect of all of that and the sort of feelings that it 
brings about like as a viewer a quite they're just I think because for me they're so relatable because of that but also it's that kind of the way that sound um, was woven through that whole, like that's kind of crucial to the whole story, like yeah. song and sound and, you know, the sea, the noise that the sea makes um, is so sort of, you know, that's all kind of part of their, their everyday life and it's sort of how they know where they are, like it's how they know what where their home is mm-hmm. and it's kind of, you know, that's, that's how sort of um, Selkies are like, yeah, this is our home as yeah. much as like the human part of us is like it's in it's on land as well so yeah, it's kind yeah. of yeah got yeah. that kind of interwovenness um but I think the main themes that are important in the film for me are like yeah feeling and sound and the interconnection yeah so um Song of the Seas the the kind of the middle film and um Tom Moore's um animated um trilogy about Irish folklore um uh, our listeners may be familiar with um, The Secret of, of Cows, which I think is the first film, and mm. Wolfwalkers, which is the third, um, all, like, beautiful, beautiful films. But I guess with, with all three of them, they're really um, about, um, like, Irish folklore specifically. And I think one of the the strongest themes in the film and one of the ways these ideas of, like, memory and grief really materialise is kind of and the way it sets out this dichotomy between um, uh, traditional uh, beliefs and, and modernity and, mm-hmm. and what is lost yeah. over time. It's not, I mean, it's it's literal loss, the loss of the loss yeah. of family, but it's mm. also like the loss of these these cultural um, yeah. ideas. Because yeah. so much of, totally. when I was yeah. watching it, um, to me it's this movie that obviously speaks to like grief and loss and it's a movie about colonialism <laughs> like when i watched it i don't know whether that's the just a the colonial frame that i understand a lot of a lot of things and narratives through um but yeah the this rural um uh, city divide mm. the way like modernity is sort of depicted as this cold harsh um rational world where you don't express your emotions and and in some way like the is it the grandmother figure that sort of just like tells Ben to like just don't cry yeah um, as as they move from this specific place where it's their like um where where it's their home into a space where um they're meant to kind of repress all of that it was quite symbolic yeah. yeah, all the traditional, um, uh, like, pre-Christian Irish stuff is is still there in the, the city, but it's underground and it's been turned to stone and it's under... Yeah. Is it like a traffic mm-hmm. island that they enter the, the fairy yeah, world through? that's right. Yeah. yeah, it's a traffic island, yeah. yeah. And also they're doing... Um, it's When they're in the city, it's ha- like the night of Halloween as well, and oh, yeah. there's, like, all this trick-or-treating happening, which is kind of how they... I think sneak out because people are just like oh they're trick-or-treaters you know they sort of take advantage of that but then there's also that element of like commercialism Mm -hmm. commercialization Mm -hmm. you know what sort of yeah everyday life at that point is like as opposed to yeah those kind of and it sort of sets up that Mm -hmm. yeah that sort of like um old versus new yeah, yeah traditional versus modernity uh, even like in the name, so you've got like Ben, which is an English name, and then Sersha, which is an Irish name, and it kind of sets up that um, 
that kind of dichotomy. And even though even mm. though Ben has a, a con- his own connection to his traditions, it's kind of mediated a bit more than Saoirse's, who's more direct through um, her um, identity as a, a Selkie and um, kind of the mm. way that the father associates her more directly with, with the, 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 the mother. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think you sort of see, it's interesting in the way at the beginning of the film how both of them conduct themselves. Like, Saoirse's pretty, like, she knows who she is. She's not, she's just like, yeah, like, she's quite comfortable in herself, even though she do, she's mute at the time and everyone's a bit like, oh, you know, or the grandmother's concerned about her not speaking. and But she's like, yeah, I'm I'm fine. Just holds herself as she is, and then Ben is really fumbly and galumphing, mm. but tries to sort of be in charge and be like, "I know what's best for you." Like he says that often to her, and um, really tries to take charge and dominate, and he ends up just like being really galumphing and yeah. like falling over, and she's just like, "Okay," <laughs> like you can kind of tell she's just like, "Mm-hmm." No, I guess I'm sort of thinking of like galumphing pakihanas <laughs> but like it reminds me a little bit of that like mm. that kind of just like i know what's best but then being really mm. like and like mm. not uh-huh. clearly not knowing yeah yeah um yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think also actually just in saying that, like, um, Saoirse being mute as well, like, is an interesting thing, even though it was kind of something, you know, it was part of her sulkiness. And, you know, I yeah, it wasn't really explained that much, I guess. Yeah. But that was an interesting mm-hmm. aspect as well. That is really interesting because it's yeah. like, yeah, it's like she has her own language. It's just that other people choose not to sort of listen to it. Yeah. yeah. Um, recognizes your own language yeah and it's kind of links to um like a lot of um a lot of celtic traditions have been lost because um they didn't um before before christianity there was no written language um Mm. in irish culture and um this this is a clumsy way to put it but it's like a a cultural muteness where Mm. this you've lost one way in which to tell these stories and i think for me the the scene that like really um explicitly most explicitly kind of lays out those themes is um they in in the underground fairy world the kids run into a a, a powerful um fairy figure called the uh, great shinaki who's yeah. like an kind of presents as an old man with a really long beard and really long hair and each of his hairs is um like linked to a specific memory mm. and when he um he plucks out a hair and gives the the hair to the the kids but it's that kind of those limited number of 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 cultural memories or this sense of um as he's being older that there's kind of this risk of these store these incredibly rich stories and verbal traditions being kind of lost Mm. yeah because they're all of what light up that dark um world well Mm. like that you know the kind of because he's very very deep under water eh um i think or under the ground yeah and and so you know his his hair is basically what illuminates it so you can see him and Mm. so you know that i think is quite a poignant illustration of how Mm. like those are those stories are the light to you know the light to um tunnel if that makes sense i don't know yeah. if that's yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah they're they're like fundamental yeah yeah and fundamental to the kids like reconnecting with their identity and yeah. finding their way yeah, yeah on yeah. their journey yeah it's such a great movie yeah yeah um, but um <laughs> when i watched it i got reminded of this book uh this story that my friend diana wrote um in a short story collection called singapura pura 
which is like a speculative, Malay speculative fiction um, from Singapore. Um, yeah, so this story, the story in the book was um, about like the, uh, based on a, a folktale um, uh, sort of set in like uh, from Terengganu in Malaysia. And it's like about a fisherman who falls in love with a sea princess. And it's got like a dance connected to it. And the story is about like the child of someone whose father is um, a man, like a human man. And the her mom is um, um, one of the Orang Bunian, which is like these like, like spiritual figures that are... I guess some people closely translate it to like elves. I mean, that, that's Seems similar wrong. to like <laughs> not not elves in like a Christmas not, kind of not way, elves like, in a but more like the, the white wave. Yeah, 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 more like the the fairy folk of fairy, Song of the yeah. Sea. Mm. Yeah, where you have oh. a, a kind of ele- elevated group of people that you can connect to in the woods with. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. So, like, for this short story, it was just like about um this connection with the sea this like uh, inherent connection that this character has with the sea and being drawn to it and like it's a it's quite a dark story and sad as well but also just like really beautiful because it talks about this like loss and grief through this um yeah this like relation uh, relational element with um with water mm. um and i i'm Okay, so how like colonizers see like space and and place is usually like in relation to its like land size. So like mm. every time they see like a small little island, they just like describe it in all the synonyms of land like size, like tiny, small, and like uh, you know like always propo- uh, disproportionate to if it punches above its weight or something. It's always mm. in relation to an edge of that place, but like a lot of you know maritime communities and indigenous communities don't see your, yourself as bound by the land size and it's like mm. the sea becomes like part of your <laughs> it's, it's like how you ontologically <laughs> move through this world right you build mm. connections with the sea you're in, it's a different world but it's like um you you still have a relationship with that world mm. and i thought that that f- the film mm. Song of the Sea and this book, this story, um, kind of speaks a lot about this connection that um, a lot of yeah cultural stories have um, sort of built a- around like um, um, the sea. Mm. So I yeah. had a. I don't, yeah, I had a question, but it's kind of gone. But yeah, let me know your thoughts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. I Yeah, I would love to read that story as well. Because, <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, just, yeah, it sounds so beautiful. Mm. And I think, um, yeah, just it makes sense for me, like, the way I, I guess, have sort of come to terms with, like, my grief as well has been that, like, um, yeah, I still have a relationship with the people I've lost mm. and they're kind of in they're just yeah in a different realm or like in a different yeah. existence yeah. but they're not gone like they're yeah. not absent from like her, you know they i mean i feel like they're fundamentally still here in a way because like i still you know dream about them i still like think about them and feel them sort of actually part being part mm-hmm. of me so i think in a way this you know even though obviously the sea is, is, is in some ways a tangible thing mm. and yeah like part of life like um when you're sort of i guess 
on land as well mm-hmm. but it, it yeah it does kind of for me um just get at that kind of yeah that continuation of where we we yeah where we are um living in this world on land I guess or you know um yeah not in the sea and then like that it's it's continuous and mm-hmm. it's not kind of it doesn't end it's not sort of marked out mm-hmm. it doesn't mm-hmm. have boundaries yeah. it's yeah this kind of um yeah, it just moves through. It's fluid. Yeah, like life is is constantly moving. Yeah, and yeah. so um, which yeah is also a very obvious thing to say. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, but yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So I think it's it's just yeah, it's really um, it's and that kind of you know sound as a as a as a means to kind of have that relationship yeah. um be um yeah be strengthened um or kind of um to as a way to kind of maintain it or something yeah. I guess I don't know I'm kind of also thinking a little bit um, about some of my participants um, you know in, in my research as well who are Maori and who like for them music and whakapapa are really mm-hmm. interconnected mm-hmm. Um, and ancestral whakapapa specifically is something that you know they um, have talked about really connecting with through performing mm-hmm. um, they're all um, vocalists as well so that kind of you know sense of like um you know not uh, yeah maybe a multiplicity of being um mm-hmm. in their voice like I don't want to sort of speak for them or speak too much on that because it's not my experience and I'm not Maori but like I think that 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 is also something that yeah I did think about a little bit when I saw Song of the Sea again yeah. kind of recently I was like oh yeah there's also kind of that aspect as yeah. well and mm-hmm. that's tied completely to our environment a lot of the kind of um, reductionist way that, that um, European colonizers have, have thought about um, like Polynesian voyages is, is because of this like um, really um, empirical understanding of, of land and land area. So never mm-hmm. mind the fact that these that a lot of people had um, kind of naval technology that was centuries ahead of, of Europeans. Um, it only gets thought as Nabila said in terms of like these tiny islands or mm-hmm. the, it kind of is is limiting in the way that that, that people talk about uh, talk about it because of the the kind of way, the European way of not not necessarily the European way of thinking about the sea because I understand that a lot of European cultures have that relationship but just like a territorial way yeah. of thinking about. The world, right? Yeah. Like you carve totally. up, you carve up the world, and you separate mm-hmm. spaces, and you separate things, and yeah. things yeah. are seen in isolation. And it's easier to draw a border or put up a fence on land than it is on yeah. the water. And yeah. land value, like that yeah. idea of valuing being at the heart of like how land is talked about and divided up. It's yeah. like what's going to be the most lucrative? How, yeah. is, how is it going to, um, you know, produce the most wealth? Yeah. Like that being, so that's, and that's just so isolated yeah. and um, alien from, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I think from that kind of the heart of what Song of the Sea is, you know, that how their, how their life is, you know, in the lighthouse. And, yeah. And uh, tying it back yeah. to what you were talking about, earlier in terms of like musicology and these these genres that have like rich um histories outside of outside of the dominant culture that end up getting absorbed and assumed by the dominant culture i've i've noticed a trend a lot in like mainstream cinema at the moment where this idea of a connection between indigeneity in the sea has been like co-opted so Mm. like uh like not to bring the tone of the the podcast down but like 
uh, like superhero movies. Like you've got these quality these, just dropped. I know. <laughs> you've got these like mermaid uh, superheroes. Like Aquaman is now now played by an indigenous Hawaiian actor, and then in the the new Black Panther movie, uh, this mermaid superhero Namor is um, is reframed as like. Mayan indigenous people and then um, the Avatar movies have like obviously a, a very clumsy relationship mm. with indigeneity but and the new one is specifically about the sea and about um, this kind of indigenous in, indigenous indigenously coded alien culture mm. and its relationship with the sea and environmental destruction and colonization mm. so I guess th- I guess these these ideas have kind of been re- reduced to to genre movie tropes now. Mm, a kind lot of, of things, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and that's, I mean, yeah, music as well. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, if you're thinking about, like, um, coming back, I guess, to Morrison, Matthew Morrison, he's coined the term black sound to refer mm. to those, to kind of create, like, a, I guess it's sort of like a, um, it's like his race-based epistemology sort of way of knowing for um, tracing that legacy, that kind of um, what's happened with the way that those sounds have been embodied and reproduced since, like, yeah, blackface minstrelsy, sort of that period of time in slavery. And, um, and I think, like, um, you know, yeah, like, capitalism and um, the music industry constantly finds ways um, to just take sort of like an emancipatory thing or something that is not you know has it has it has a context and they remove it from that context whitewash it like just coming back to that idea and then sell it on and then make it more um, uh, sort of um, palatable Mm. yeah for white straight you know listeners Um, yeah yeah could this be the third episode in a row where we talk about white boy rappers? <laughs> bring it back. Uh, yeah. Bring it back. I think and, uh, dinner and a movie and a white boy rapper. Yeah. The ethnomusicology of Macklemore. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> next, next week, um, we have Ed Sheeran. Yeah. <laughs> Does he rap? What are you talking about? His whole thing is like pretending to rap but not. Ah, uh, okay. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, this is like completely like this like two conversations ago but I just got like we were talking about the way like colonizers kind of carved up the world and and decided you know like where the boundaries of which where people belong um, and completely disregarding the fact that this you know communities like um, just like people of the sea people who literally lived like in houses on the sea um, and also like on land as well so it's these kind of maritime communities that exist and and in order to delegitimize that kind of way of being they criminalize it so like they turn it they, the narrative of it becomes like I think for for the Malay archipelago like Orang Laut became became like um, portrayed as like pirates so like there's just like mm. like the criminalization of that kind of like of movement mm. um, and the flattening of like indigeneity or indigenous peoples as um, if they were recognized by this by by colonizers it would like they would have to be rooted like with the double O instead of rooted with the O U. Mm. Um, <laughs> mm. so we've that 
splice that bit. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. yeah. it's really good. Yeah. yeah. And obviously, like links there to like habitat destruction, yeah. um, climate change, yeah. co- um, totally. communities. Yeah. These communities getting destroyed by. Yeah. Yeah. I guess just something that I really like about the um, the soundtrack of Song of the Sea and that um, very is very sort of like you know like sort of dark blue and swirly like yeah. the sea like it yeah. sounds really like um, yeah and I think it's got this kind of sense of um, of spirituality that I that just resonates with how I kind of think about that world sort of and I just I guess just my own random <laughs> way that yeah. I've come up with thinking about it um, and I think also like the way that some of the uh, the melodies sound really reminds me of wind, my wind chimes at my like at, at home in Horakiwi, my family home where I've like grown up, and my mum put them there. Like they've mm. always been there, and they've always just been in the background. And I just associate that sound with home. From like a musical music theory point of view, how does and I I, I know exactly what you mean, but I don't know why. Um, what how can something sound blue? <laughs> oh, <laughs> I mean, yeah. I know what you mean, but I don't know why I know that. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Well, I yeah. <laughs> I think I guess it's sort of something called, like called synesthesia, yeah. or what I'd think of as like synesthesia, which I yeah I kind of um draw on when I paint. Like I really like to paint to music, and that you know the often the music, if especially when it's music I really connect with, I find that's the easiest way for me to like do a painting as if it's a song that I like love and know uh-huh. really well. Um, I just yeah like I didn't really realize I did this. Like I could you know that this was a thing. I kind of thought. You know, I was just like, that's just what happens to everyone when they mm. listen to music, which I think it is to varying degrees. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. everyone has, yeah, different ways of associating sound in their mind. But for me, it was just color. Like it kind of would have colors and textures that I'd be like, oh yeah, like that just is that. Mm-hmm. And and it, you know, maybe and it's I guess I you could say that I would you know I feel like the soundtrack of Song of the Sea is like this deep blue because a lot of the visuals have that really rich blue Mm -hmm. um so I might just be seeing that in my mind because I've actually seen it on screen like I don't know. Synesthesia of course being um popularized by the hit tv show Heroes. Is it true? (laughs) Oh is it? it? Random secondary character with synesthesia in it. Um, (laughs) These superpowers having synesthesia. Oh, I didn't know it was Kanye West. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah. Uh, What What's your superpower? Oh, I got flight. What about you? Oh, I'm a I'm a super taster. (laughs) (laughs) I can I can detect specific spices. Yeah, taste all the five. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, my superpower is that um, I can believe that I can't believe it's not butter. butter. (laughs) Um, (laughs) No, um, it was going to be about this is what you are gifting to the people that you ended up speaking to and interviewing Mm. for your on PhD right well I wanted to um yeah but my way of connecting with people for my PhD and I guess collaborating with them um has you know I'm really wanting it to sort of be a reciprocal relationship as much as I I can within the limits of like doing research in a a university it's always um there's always contradictions and you know it's obviously never going to be perfect but I think 
yeah, for me, I thought was thinking, well, something I know I can um, put, you know, energy and time into and, you know, really enjoy doing um, would be to do a painting for each person, which um, speaks to their music and also to their, um, to our conversation. So I did the paintings after we um, connected and they shared some music with me that they, you know, felt would be, that, that they wanted to. And then we had an interview. Yeah, and it was, I think it just felt like, kind of in keeping with um, the broader sort of themes of the topic, you know, to privilege like artistic ways of knowing, um, you know, and that like visual arts are a medium of that as well. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just a way for me to also describe music. Like Mm. I actually find it easier to just paint music than to um, describe it with words. And that's something I wanted to... um, yeah, just say thank you in, in, a, in a way that I knew that I'd be able to, to do. Um, so where can our listeners find you, Bunny? Um, if oh. you want to be found. You, oh. Or you could, yeah. <laughs> you could shout out the and Yes, yeah. yes. So um, um, I think people who are doing really cool activism through their music um, include um, Sam Tafara Howard um, from the gallery um, and also the gallery more broadly. Like their, their songs are really beautiful um, and a lot of them are about loving Papa Tuanuku and sort of um, re-energising and reinvigorating um, that relationship and what that relationship looks like with the earth and also with each other. Um, and also um, Nico Tehuki, um, who's the um, leader of Half Cast, um, and uh, I think he's yeah he's got another project called Casual Healing as well. So. Um, yeah, all of his music is beautiful. Um, then Marika Prattley, um, or Class War on the Dance Floor. Um, yeah, she's um, she's awesome. Um, she's, uh, yeah, like a queer feminist um, sort of synth dance pop. Yeah, and then and then uh, C from Hagseed. Um, oh, yeah. And so Hagseed are a feminist punk band from Tamaki Makoto. And C is a bassist and vocalist um, for them. And yeah, their music is really cool. And a lot of their songs are about um, like reasserting mana, reasserting tino rangatiratanga, and um, yeah, using punk as a medium to mm. do that. And cool, yeah. cool. So that <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Super awesome. Oh. I feel like I could go on and talk more a little bit, but we can. We should probably stop. <laughs> <laughs> no.